Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Master the NEC, where we talk about the National Electrical Code and all things electrically related. My name is Paul Abernathy, your host, and welcome to today's podcast. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Master the NEC, where we talk about the National Electrical Code and all things electrically related. My name is Paul Abernathy, your host as always. Welcome to the podcast. Hopefully, first off, that everybody's having a wonderful Memorial Weekend and we remember the blessings that we have and the freedoms that we have based on all of the efforts of all of our military uh, in order to fight for our freedom and give of, given us this wonderful world that we live in. Uh, an ever-changing world, many debates, but at the end of the day, we're here and we're very thankful for what our soldiers have done for us to give us that freedom. And we remember that they, many, many, many of them have given the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom. And that's what this weekend is all about. So uh, thank you to all of our soldiers and our military, all branches, for your uh, service and to the families whose loved ones have paid that ultimate sacrifice of giving up their life for our freedom. We thank you for that service. Okay, so let's get into today's episode. I get a lot of calls from people um, who say, can you do something in PV? So I figured we, and that's photovoltaic, if you're not familiar with the the vernacular that we use in the industry, Uh, PV systems, photovoltaic systems, solar systems, whatever you want to call it. Um, And so many of you out there are real familiar with uh, Article 690, which deals with solar photovoltaic systems. Um, They're not new. As many of you know, they've been around for many, many, many years. They had a surgeons in the 70s. It's going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread. Uh, And then really what happened is the return on investment and the costs didn't work out very well. And so it's kind of a fad, if you will, kind of dwindled out. Um, but, you know, in the last decades, made a, a big surgence back. People are doing it. Uh, the return on investment has dropped. There's, there's microinverters. There's uh, all kinds of technologies now that the, the panels have become uh, more cost effective. Uh, the cells as well are more durable. Everything has changed. So at the result of that is that it makes it more um, attractive to get into a PV type system on your home. Um, and so you're going to see the, you know, obviously with that comes the expanded attention that's get, that, that goes to Article 690, which is dealing with photovoltaic systems. 
Now, one thing we did see in the 2017 code was we had an expansion into what was called large-scale photovoltaic PV systems. Uh, and these were generally to be able to power you uh, feed back into utility grids. So these were large power production type facilities. Okay, so mainly six Article 691 only is dealing with those that are no less than 5,000 kilowatts. Okay, so that's a large scale PV system. Generally, it's connected in order to be able to feed power to the grid uh, and to be able to supplement uh, the normal grid uh, system that we have that provides the power that we get today through our neighborhoods and whatnot. So it, depending on where you're at, it's a supplemental. Uh, and they basically do fall under the National Electrical Code because they're a standalone entity that's providing power to the utilities. So they have all the rules that they have to meet in, in uh, 691. Uh, but that also means that there's certain rules they have to meet in 705 as well, which is interconnected electric power production sources. And then there's energy storage systems in 706. Uh, and then there's those standalone systems in 710. So it's not like it's just a, a one and done where they go right to 691 for those large scale and they're done. I mean, there's other uh, articles that might come into play. Now, most certainly with what me and you are used to dealing with is normally Article 690. We've done, dealt with that for years. And 690 is uh, going to catch most of the systems that we deal with. We're also reminded in the scope that you also might need to interact with other uh, sections in the code or other articles in the code. And again, it tells you right up in the scope that you might have energy storage, such as batteries. You might have standalone, which works with the power production systems. Uh, all of these things are interact together. Uh, and so when we're talking about PV systems, Article 690, it very much could interact with other systems. Okay. So always remember that it's not a one and done. It's you're in 690, you still have to dabble in 705. And obviously in, in, uh, future podcasts or videos, we maybe will we'll dig into some of those things as well. But right now, we're just kind of going to talk about PV systems a little bit and a little bit of the basics. Um, uh, one thing to remember, though, PV systems, again, aren't or so, the concept of solar power is absolutely not new. Okay, uh, It was first discovered um, back in 1839, and I couldn't pronounce the guy's name even if I wanted to. We'll call him Alexandre, and uh, we'll uh, leave it at that. He uh, did this all the way back in 1839, so this is not new. The first commercially available was vented by Bell Labs in 1954. Uh, and, of course, as we've talked, the first um, solar-powered calculators were actually invented in 1978. So you can see that, that what's moved through the technology, and ultimately we had a surgence of PV applications uh, in the 70s as well, whereas uh, instead of trying to get down to a smaller calculator, I'm talking about the, the power cells, modules, and everything on houses, and trying to be able to harness the power of the sun is not a new thing, okay? Um, so, uh, but it was pretty expensive, and you really couldn't afford it back when it first came out. So over time, prices have come down, reliabilities come down, manufacturing has brought things down, and now it's becoming something that people are interested in again. Uh, actually, I shouldn't say again, for the past 10 years. Um, for me, it's, uh, you know, if I have a house and I want to put this PV system on my house, I always have to look at it is, am I doing it just to be green or feel green, or am I going to get something out of it? Uh, because if I have a PV system, very rarely can I take any of the DC power straight from that grid. In, uh, or that 
set module or those cells that actually go into a PV module, which goes into an array, which is a number of them, uh, and they're all in a string, uh, and they're in series, the di different uh, modules, and then of course you have multiple strings and they're in parallel, but at the end of the day, am I going to get my return on investment? What am I trying to do? So I go from this DC, I take it through an inverter, I turn it to AC, which then makes it usable, uh, but you're not using it in real time, whereas I could use the DC component in real time, because I'm in DC is DC, uh, but it makes it really hard because most of the wiring that we do, most of the stuff that we do, we're going to go through an inverter, we're going to turn to AC, and generally, uh, we're going to use it to supplement uh, our, our meter and spin it backwards you've heard people say and try to save us some energy um, well that only works really well if you're not using as much energy as what you're kicking back then you really might not see any benefit of it uh, but again the purist in me always says well if I did this then I'm gonna go with batteries because I want to store that energy and then I can use it for off-peak times uh, and, uh, and some people say I'm gonna use it on peak times so I can augment my cost of doing certain things during peak, uh, however you tend to utilize it, um, it is not a cheap investment, okay? So, er <coughs> excuse me, every PV module are actually made up of individual PV cells. People sometimes call those wafers or whatever you want to call them. They're different, they're called PV cells, and they're put together and they create a long module panel, okay? Now, they collect the sunlight and they use semiconductors inside of that to actually produce DC electricity. Now, that DC electricity then goes down to what we call an inverter. Now, there's different types of inverter. There's microinverters, and there's just a standard inverter. Um, you know, they transform that DC to AC power. Now, the microinverters actually mount up underneath the panels, and it does all the inverting right there. Okay, so it comes in off those panels, goes into this microinverter and then what comes out is AC and of course the beauty of that is everything that you wire on the output side of that you can follow all the pretty simple rules in the National Electrical Code for AC systems okay um, you also have those modules that actually have an inverter built in and we call it an AC module and so you don't really see the inverter it's all built into the actual panel itself and so only thing that comes out of that uh, that panel is uh, or that solar panel, um, I should probably call it what people understand it, PV module, what comes out of that is pure AC. And so that's easy to follow the rules when you're dealing with that. Uh, but most of the microinverters uh, you'll see that go underneath some of these systems allow you to control each panel, PV module panel, independently, which can be beneficial uh, if you're monitoring those type of things. Um, but a lot of the old school or traditional are going to be, the, the PV modules are going to be up. They're going to come from that to a combiner. Uh, and then from that combiner, it's going to come down to an inverter. Uh, and, of course, you've got disconnects on the DC side and AC side. And we'll get into that as we move through uh, our PV series. Uh, but at the end of the day, that inverter's role is to simply convert DC to AC. Whereas the other way around, we call it a converter, okay, where it's going to convert what? DC to AC. I mean, or what? No, AC to DC, right? So that converts. AC to DC converter and inverter takes DC and makes it AC. Okay? Boy, that can get compl complicated, can it? All right, so thinking about how we're harnessing the sun, you know, we have alternating current is, is actually produced by these inverters. And when you're using a microinverters, for example, we'll, we'll 
kind of see that's the trend. With the microinverter, what comes out of those microinverters uh, are AC. And then that comes all the way down to your electrical panel or whatever uh, load center, whatever you want to call it, that's in your home, your business, or wherever it would be. Okay, so that comes in and it actually comes in and, and back feeds into a circuit breaker. All right, so that's one way to do it. That's uh, how we can instantly harness it back into the panel uh, that way. Uh, the other one we have, you know, is that look, how are we going to harness this energy and make it usable? Uh, then we get in what's called a charge controller and we get batteries for storage. So sometimes you'll have what's coming in from these modules and they'll come down and they'll come to what's called a charge controller and that charge controller is not only monitoring what's going on with these modules but it also allows it to interact with a storage system uh, battery packs for example and make sure that it doesn't overcharge them damage them and uh, it keeps it charged up so that again I can utilize this DC and take it through an inverter and get AC out of it from a stored level of energy right so uh, one of the other ones is we talk about is where we call the concept is called grid tied systems. All right, these PV systems are actually connected to the utility grid. Now, what happens is the owners are actually, or me in my house, I'm actually selling the power back to the utility unless I'm uh, instead of storing it on site for use later. Okay. To me, that's the purest system of how I'd like it. I mean, if, for me, I want to store it and I want to take it to batteries and I use it later. It's costly. Uh, the batteries aren't cheap. You're just not going and buying RV batteries or marine batteries to do this, right? So it's, it's, it's not a cheap process and it takes up a lot of space and depending on what you're using and the type of storage you're using, ventilation, it, it can be quite uh, a costly venture for you. Now, uh, the traditionally what happens with a grid tied system, which is probably what most people do, providing your utility allows this, they'll put in what's called a net meter. And the net metering is what deal we're dealing with. And what happens is um, you connect it, you have the PV system, it comes down to the inverter from DC to AC, powers the panel. Uh, and then it also goes what's called a bi-directional meter, it means it moves in both directions. Uh, and uh, it's uh, a process called net metering. And you're basically selling power that we don't need or the offset balance back to the actual utility. Uh, and it, it could offset your bill. Uh, it might re just reduce your bill. Uh, but that's what most people are doing. And I'll be honest with you, depending on your system, it may be beneficial and it may not. Um, I don't have enough knowledge to say of talking with anybody that's net metered that actually knows that maybe a 5 thousand watt system on their house actually save them any money uh, now the concept when we talk return on investment is that is it going to save you enough money that over the life expectancy of this system that it will break even or you actually will save anything so it's one of those scenarios where I just recently bought a travel trailer and I'm thinking you know when you spend twenty plus thousand dollars in a travel trailer and you look at your wife and you go Dang on, man. I could stay in a lot of hotels for $20,000. What benefit am I getting out of the travel trailer? Um, but it's the freedom to be able to go where you want to go and, uh, and do what you want to do and, and take your animals with you. That, that's a, there's a benefit to it, even though it's certainly not because of the cost. Well, that might be the same reason here for PV, is that at some point it will pay for itself, 
Uh, but will it pay for itself to a point where the warranty is expired on the products and you end up having to reinvest in it and you start over again? Well, you're not going to have the installation costs, okay, um, for that, maybe, except for replacement. But I don't know. I, you know, I've never been a big fan of PV when it comes to the net metering concept, but there's a lot of people that do, and I'm not, you know, not going to talk either near the, either here nor there about that. Uh, for me, I like if I was going to do it, I, I need batteries, Okay. I plan on putting a solar system, PV system, on my RV and storing batteries. And, uh, and I'll, yes, I'll have the charge controller and all this stuff. It, don't worry about it. All right. But that's the benefit to me. Okay. Now, in order to do this, you really have to, to do it right. You, you really have to have all the things that are necessary to do it. Not only the PV modules, but the inverters, whether you go microinverter or you go standard inverter. Uh, you'll have to charge controllers. you got to determine whether or not you're going to do batteries to store it, whether or not you're just going to do net metering. You have to determine whether or not your utility allows net metering. You just can't go jumping into it. Hopefully, you hire a reliable contractor that does these systems, that they know what's going on in your area, and that's not a, not a problem. Uh, but the first things first, um, when you're thinking about these type systems, you got to know what the basic bones are. And so PV modules. We need PV modules to start this whole thing. These PV modules are going to go on the roof, um, and there's different types. There's uh, a monocrystalline silicon, okay, and they're really costly. And then you have a polycrystalline silicone, eh, midway maybe. And then of course you have new emerging things like thin film solar cells, and they're kind of lower cost. I don't know what their last is, how long they last, but obviously everything's relevant. In other words, the lower the cost, the efficiency is going to be lower, right? And the lifespan is probably going to be lower. Again, it's not one of those things where they say you get what you pay for. But again, trying to work out what you're trying to do as far as your return on investment, it's important to know where you're trying to go with the PV system. Uh, if you're just trying to be green, are you really trying to get to a point where you're net zero? I mean, you're, you're, you're not using as much energy as, um, as you need, uh, and you're offsetting it by PV systems. Or maybe you're even putting it with other systems. I don't, I don't know. Um, and then they have new ones that are out there called concentrated PV cells. Uh, and those are the highest cost. Obviously, new anything new is going to be cost. The efficiency, obviously, are designed to concentrate the, the, their energy. So they're going to be very efficient, but very costly. Have a great lifespan. Uh, and their appearance is they kind of look concaved. So when we're thinking of the monocrystalline silicone, they have about an, a lifespan of about 25 years. Um, they're very highly efficient. They're very costly. Maybe over time, prices have come down. Um, but at the end of the day... Um, you have a 25-year lifespan. So my, my concern is, and I usually tell people, um, when you're pricing out your system and somebody gives you a system, whether you're getting subsidies from the government, your state, or whatever, look and see where you're going to be at 25 years. Are you go, when is your return on investment? When is your payoff date? And ask your contractor to kind of calculate that out. Now, I get it. Different uses, different power. You don't know exactly what your bill is going to be each month, but you can go back and look and see what your average electrical cost was. And... Kind of try to see what their estimated return on investment would be, the time span. Because you know what? It doesn't make sense to me if it's 25 years to have a lifespan on a product to where I'm going to have to replace this high-cost items that I'm starting all over again. Did I have a return on investment of 10 years and then the rest is just gravy? I don't know. I can't give you advice on that. 
there's other people out there in the industry that could give you advice on that. I can't. I'm a code guy. So I'm just saying, and, and, you know, and, and I'm not somebody that's totally sold okay, on PV for that scale. Now, typically the PV, the mono silicone or the monocrystalline silicone, uh, typically the, uh, the actual PV cells are, are look kind of round, if you will. They're kind of round in nature, and there's just a bunch of them collected on a, on a module. Uh, and so they're all over the module. And they, they kind of look around so you can kind of tell what they look. And they kind of run kind of a darker color. So you can look at them and tell what you're dealing with those. Those are the higher cost, higher efficiency. And then the polycrystalline uh, silicones, uh, they're a little different. Uh, they kind of just look uh, kind of bluish, if you will. But they're square and they take up the whole surface. You couldn't dif- differentiate between each individual cell. It's like one big glob of cells. Um, uh, but it's kind of square if you will. Uh, the thin film type is exactly what it looks like. It's a thin, uh, flexible cell. Again, shortest lifespan, uh, 7 to seven to 17 years, 7 to 15 years, something like that. Oh, the polycrystalline, about 20 years, 20, 21 years, somewhere in that range. Um, but again, looking at the return on investment, uh, you know, if you get 17 years out of a low-cost product, then maybe it's cheaper to, re- to do that um, but again, you have to do your do your 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 math on it and look at what your return on investment is. We're not really going to get into that today. And of course, again, the concentrated PV modules. Actually, if you look at it, they look concaved, and it kind of tra- basically the light comes in and it captures all because of the way that the cell is actually formed. Uh, you have those as well. Okay, so not only do you have to worry about at this point uh, determining the type of uh, modules that you want and of course if you're dealing with the contractor who's working with doing the pv work uh you we will have to have that kind of discussion on what you're getting versus what the warranty is and what's the type you're getting uh it's important to understand it the next thing you got to worry about is the mounting system how am i putting it on the roof okay um, I'm going to have penetrations. Where are my penetrations going to be? Um, are you sealing these penetrations? Look, the last thing I want is taking a roof that's, that is designed to keep water out and have some jack leg come and put penetrations in it and then damage it. So are the roof mounting systems designed specifically for these PV modules? Uh, that's something that would be a concern to me. Uh, there are also many types out there that are called railless systems. But they will have a lot of penetrations, okay? And anytime I have a penetration in my roof, I'm a little worried about the viability of that roof from that point. Uh, so make sure they know what they're doing when it comes to the roof penetrations. Right? Now, you can have other types that are uh, shared rail systems, Okay, and these were the actually you have instead of having a separate rail for each module type of scenario, it is designed in a way that a certain number of rails will share a certain number of panels. Okay, so there's going to be less penetrations, obviously, into the roof. Uh, the less rails you have, obviously, the less penetrations, and that sounds good to me. You just have to make sure that that PV system or those those modules, those PV modules, uh, are designed uh, to actually use those type of racks. No mixing, matching type of thing. Okay, and then of course there are some systems out there that are designed 
to support the weight and, and connect down using the angle of the roof and the top pitch of the roof, whatever. And they're referred to as non-penetrating type of systems. So there is probably some penetrations, but at the end of the day, very few. And if that works with the system you have, obviously, I'm all about the less penetrations into my roof. Okay. Now, the other thing that they've got out uh, is... Uh, Ballasted systems, again, these are other type of systems that mount on the roof uh, that are designed to secure to the roof, depending on the roof that you have. It might be a flat roof or a slight angled roof, and these systems have baluster type of things that the PVs actually are held from. Um, again, probably very few penetrations. Again, probably not something we're going to see on a residential roof, but on a commercial roof, you might have something that are ballasted systems uh, again, you can inquire with those depending on your roof system. If it's commercial, this might be viable. Depending on the roof membrane, it might be preferable. Okay. Uh, and then you'll also have uh, some what's called dual tilting systems, which actually will tilt in, in, in directional. It's actually designed so you have the PV systems that kind of looks like a wave. Okay. So, uh, and the reason you do this is sometimes they're all facing the southern, and as the sun moves, you can get the most optimum the whole time by having these positioned, uh, these railing systems that actually either follow the sun's track or is designed so that that the where you have the the one side that's facing the south, you have the other side uh, that's facing the north, and it's still getting a good amount of sun as it moves, so you really don't have a loss anywhere. So, again, you have poor exposure to the sun. This can optimize your exposure because they're dual tilt systems. Uh, they still have to mount to the roof or in some type of railing system. So, again, just being cautious of how your system's mounted and make sure they're all listed and they're designed to work with the PV system. They're not a hodgepodge, if you will. Uh, now, next, let's kind of talk a little bit about the, the next component because we've already mounted it. We've got it on there. We're checking our roof. And now it's the inverters. Uh, and this is what's going to do the duty of changing it from DC to AC, uh, which is what we're going to get some use out of it. Very little homes get any use out of the DC component. Okay. Now, you have DC microgrids and those type of systems that could utilize, and that's in the code, that could utilize uh, some of these uh, applications uh, but at the end of the day, you know, you have to remember that what we're trying to achieve, uh, if you're dealing with a DC microgrid in a, in a utility system or maybe dealing with it a high uh, COP system or whatever, and they need some direct current microgrids under Article 712, yes, that's new for 2017, um, then that is one where um, it might be beneficial uh, for you to have um, a true understanding of, of, of whether or not you're going to get some DC current directly from the actual PV system versus going through an inverter. Uh, but for most cases, me and you, every day, we're going to have uh, some type of inverter, whether it's a microinverter, which is attributed to every module, or, or we're going to have one centrally located inverter, which means you're going to have all of these strings that come from all of these modules uh, in parallel. The, the modules are in series, but the, the actual sets of them are in parallel. They come back to what's called a combiner. The combiner brings them all together, and then it takes it down to uh, usually a DC disconnect and into an inverter, depending on your system. But at any rate, those are where the inversion takes place right there. Okay, so a micro inverters are usually out at the actual PV modules themselves. Uh, and then each one of those modules acts independent. So you can get a lot of data on how this module is performing on a microgrid system. 
And I can't really comment on the cost. I know the cost has kind of come down. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, but again, uh, you know, each system has their costs and their pluses and minuses and whatnot. Uh, from a permitting standpoint for me, uh, you know, the, the micro grid ones, are the um, micro inverter, I should say, are the ones that are probably going to be most, most uh, easiest to explain to a jurisdiction. But, hey, they all work. So now let's kind of look at what we call string inverters and what they're trying to do. So you have an inverter. It's a string inverter, so that means all of these PVC modules are wired in series. Okay, goes into one, comes out, goes into one, comes out, goes into one, comes out, goes into one, comes out. It comes out the last one, goes back around, and it comes back to this string or a central inverter. Okay, um, so that's what we call it. So um, PV modules are generally wired in series. And then you'll have, in many of these, you'll have what's called a PV optimizer. Now, this PV optimizer is actually uh, designed, and the, 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 you know this this power optimizer uh, demystify this thing. Really, it's a DC to DC converter, and it's connected in the field to the solar modules, and it basically turns them into smart modules, if you will. So they optimize by increasing the energy output from the PV system because it constantly tracks the maximum power point, MPPT, of each module individually. Okay, So the power optimizers typically monitor the performance of each module and communicate performance data back to a monitoring platform. So it makes it the ability to see that each module is more cost-effective in their application, it controls whether or not maintenance is needed, whether or not there something's wrong with them, they're covered or not, and they're not putting out properly. Okay, so you're, basically the easiest way to think of it is actually is monitoring. Okay, and it's actually making sure that the DC voltage are at safe levels uh, whenever the inverter or grid power is shut down. Uh, all these type of things. It's just constantly monitoring the system now. That's important to realize because a lot of changes that took place in the 2017 code uh, in dealing with 690.12, and that's going into effect January 1st of 2019. Um, so it's PV rapid shutdown systems, uh, PVRSS, and basically where allows us the optimizations actually allows to monitor uh, the applications as well. Okay, so. Yeah, one of those things, and, and they typically these these uh, the power optimizers, depending on what manufacturer you use, uh, they will generally have about a 25 year reliability warranty. So again, you have to take that into consideration. Uh, they look at it real time. They can usually they'll go to some type of um, a monitoring system to be able to monitor that. Okay, and they automatically will actually monitor the DC voltage uh, and see that to make sure everything stays in compliance with the changes that are coming in the 2017 code. All right, so it just does a lot of things. So just kind of wanted to give you the 
the overall on that optimizer. Now let's take a look at the one probably the most common application today in the residential aspect of PV systems, and that is a microinverter. Uh, in the microinverter, again, you'll have the DC coming in from the actual PV, each individual PV module. They'll come out of the, in, the microinverter, and it'll be AC output. And all that comes together into the string and comes back, okay? So the microinverters, again, are installed um, at all of the actual modules. They're right underneath them, and most of them come with a quick disconnect uh, that meets the make and break requirements. Uh, so, you, you know, it's all built into the connector. Okay. All right. And I guess you should say that all those uh, microwaves, they all come back into a, a combiner box. So we bring them all together. Okay. All right. So kind of talk about, we're just kind of giving an overview here. Let's kind of talk about the different things that you need uh, to, to wire all this up. Connectors, cables, things like that, conduits, whatever you, whatever you want to use. Okay. Um, so generally what you have in the, uh, the uh, PV module from the microinverter, you'll have coming out of the microinverter, you'll have two leads. Okay. Uh, and they'll come out of it and they're going to connect to the conductors that are going underneath the strings that are taking it back to the combiner box. Okay. So you'll have it. And a lot of times with these systems, you'll buy the pre-connected leads that, that you can do all the connections underneath all these things like microinverters and connect them together. Now, saying you're not dealing with a microinverter and you're dealing with the regular conductors that we would use in a PV application for connecting all these arrays together, uh, all these modules together, uh, typically we would use a USC-2 uh, on the DC side uh, or a PV wire. And it'll say on it photovoltaic wire. Uh, that's under UL 4703. Now I work for a wire and cable manufacturer. We do make PV wire. Um, and it is a lot thicker than even USC-2. So if you get pure PV wire, in many cases it might be dual rated. It might be, or even triple rated. It might be adequate to use as PV, but also USC-2, but also RHH or RHW-2. Uh, the PV component will be much thicker than what you typically get, much being all relevant, than what you get in USC-2, but the code allows for the application of either or. Okay, so uh, a lot of misconceptions also about the PV wire that they say that typically the PV wire has a insulation and a jacketing. Um, not always the case. It could be one pure extrusion of XLPE and still be PV wire, although I see this a lot where people say that it's actually uh, two layers. It doesn't have to be, although I seem to see that an awful lot around. Um, and I can only tell you this from a fact. Uh, I know we make it, and it's been listed, and it's evaluated by UL. Uh, so anyway, it's just pure extrusion. It's not really two jacketing systems, an insulation and a jacketing. Uh, in our case, for example, the PV wire is all an extrusion of XLPE. It's just an extremely thicker version of it. Uh, if you're putting it in a raceway, just give us a call. We'll tell you all the information you need to know how to do the uh, raceway field calculations, the values, because they're not in Chapter 9, Tables 4 and 5 of the NEC when it comes to PV wire. Okay? And you can't use the RHH RHW because I can tell you PV wire is thicker than that if it's got the PV listing on it. Okay? Uh, and then, of course, there's a myriad of, of, of raceways that you can use. Uh, you can use rigid, EMT, PVC, liquid tight, uh, different 
types of applications. Uh, I should say liquid type flexible metal conduit uh, and uh, even uh, FMC in certain applications of the code. And we'll, obviously in further series, we'll get into a little more of how we do that. Uh, just remember that the USC-2 or the uh, PV can be run exposed underneath the modules with care taken to make sure they're not dragging on the surface. If it's an aggregate type of uh, surface that could damage the wire. But again, it's thicker for a reason. Uh, you have to do good cable management, keep it up underneath the PV modules. But uh, again, uh, now from the combiner back, there's a myriad of ways with EMT, uh, different things to be able to run that back. Um, so again, we'll get into some of the different wiring methods later in another uh, podcast or even a video. Uh, just kind of giving you an introduction, if you will. Um, the next thing we want to think about is your battery system if you're going to do storage. Okay, If you're going to do storage uh, and you have a battery setup, it doesn't have to be overly extensive to have a battery setup. I think most people think that in order to get into this, you think it needs to be seriously massive. Again, it's all relative to the size of the system and what you're trying to do with it. Um, so it certainly should be an option that's on the table. Uh, whether or not your PV installer offers that option or not, you know, it's, it's uh, something you'll have to discuss with them. Uh, but of course, anytime you have the ability to store the battery system or something like that, you're going to need what's called a charge controller. Uh, and this is going to actually monitor the battery's charge, going to make sure it doesn't overcharge, uh, things like that. Okay. So just remember that's a component that you're going to need to have as well if you have a storage component like the batteries, which is typically what you're going to have. Now, there's multiple types of systems that we've talked about, uh, whether or not it's the grid tied or interactive system, which, again, you're trying to net meter. Uh, you can have an off-grid solar system, whereas the only source of your power is an off-grid type system. And, of course, you can have a hybrid solar system. Now, the interconnected grid, again, solar panels to an inverter comes down, and, of course, you have net metering. So again, you're trying to offset the amount of energy that you're using. You're hoping that you use less energy than what you're generating. That way you, your meter actually spins backwards. Again, thinking of the return on investment, um, in, uh, uh, it might be beneficial for you, it might not. It, you know, again, understanding the life expectancy of this system is important. What is your return on investment? Now, you might want to do it where you don't care about the return on investment. That's great. Go for it. I'm all for that. Uh, the next one is the standalone off-grid. Again, you have the PV modules. It comes down to a charge controller. What that's doing is that's going to make sure that it keeps the batteries charged. But then it goes to the inverter. And again, what you have in this verner, inverter is you have other options here because you could have a generator as well being another input source, another power production system. Uh, and of course, you got to meet all the rules for generators and you're going to have to be, meet the rules 705 and whatnot. But also that inverter running this house, if you will, or this structure, um, then it's a standalone means it's getting some from its energy storage from the batteries, which are power the inverter, which gives you AC. But in times when it's not uh, generating solar power, uh, then you've got the optional generator. Uh, you can have wind generation. All of that could also come into an inverter uh, and then provide you. And that's a standalone system. It's not tied to any utility per se. Uh, and then you have what's called the hybrid multi-mode type systems, whereas I will have the solar panels, I have a charge controller because I do have batteries, uh, but I have the inverter, but instead of a generator, I have the actual utility grid connected to it. So I had the benefit of running a meter, uh, and then the meter uh, can actually uh, monitor that activity and, and uh, pay for what I use utility-wise. 
And then, of course, I have the batteries that can power the inverter, uh, which can power when I need to be uh, in the mode that's not the utility mode. Okay, so that's a hybrid type of system. Okay. Um, there are all different types of systems, but uh, let's talk about safety for a second when it comes to these systems. And we're talking about the advent of what we call rapid shutdown, 690.12, the disconnects that are required to be able to safely work on these systems, to safely work on inverters, uh, and then, of course, backfeeding and things like that. Okay, rapid shutdown. Now, this was introduced in the 2014 code, okay, and it requires that the conductors outside and inside of the array boundary be de-energized quickly for the safety of the emergency responders. So they're coming to a fire. You got PV systems. You know what? These things are always generating power. That's the beauty of them. And they're going to work. And sometimes they have to get on the roof and vent things and do things. And they think they kill power to a building. And inadvertently, you've got these PV that are still generating. Uh, and so it became a safety issue. And so that was added in the advent of the 2014 code. And it just expands in the 2017 code. So we're not going to get into a whole lot on this in this episode because we're going to take these in future episodes. But what you're going to see in the 2017 code is you have what's called control limits. Okay, And basically it says the use of the term array boundary in this section is defined as one feet or one foot from the array in all directions. That is called the controlled limits. Okay, And it says controlled conductors outside of the array boundary, okay, comply with 690.12b1, and of course that's talking about outside the array boundary, and then of course it says inside the array boundary shall comply with 690.12b2, okay, so you have rules now for the actual uh, application of the conductors, the control conductors that are inside and outside of the array boundary, Okay. And we also now know what the controlled limits are. And so when it says this, and we're talking B1 and B2, it's saying, okay, use the term array boundary in this section is defined as one foot from the array in all directions. Okay, So that is where we see the array boundary. We know what that is. So when we're talking about outside of the array boundary, we're talking about the period between the one foot from further and then when we talk about inside the array boundary, we're literally talking about all the applications that are inside that array boundary. Okay, So a bunch of different changes in the NEC when it comes to that, kind of, kind of define it down. Uh, and of course, all of this has to do with rapid shutdown and how we're shutting it down, uh, the system. And basically, it's going to tell you inside that boundary You're going to have to, the control conductor is located inside the boundary or not more than three feet from the point of penetration of the surface of the building shall be limited to not more than 80 volts within 30 seconds of rapid shutdown initiation. Okay, so it's going to have to reduce it down to 80 volts within that 30 seconds. Okay, all right. So you've got all these rules. A lot of now, all of the the equipment that's now being produced uh, understands all these rules and it makes it a little easier to comply with all these rules because the code's changing and the, and the manufacturers of this equipment are jumping on board and they understand the application. Uh, disconnects. The ability to disconnect PV circuitry is essential 
because it is still alive. And you know what? It's it's not so much the voltage that gets you, it's the current. So you have disconnects and you have isolation devices required by the NEC. Uh, and they must be there to isolate the PV equipment and the PV circuits from the rest of the electrical system. So you're required to have these types of disconnects uh, in the system. And this isn't really new, but I tell you, part three of 690 has had a lot of work done on it. Okay, a lot of work done on it. And uh, code pan- the code panel that dealt with this did a great job. And, you know, I would say this is probably a lot to do with Bill Brooks and, and his knowledge of PV systems as well as the others on that panel. I uh, did a good job of really, really, really defining out different things. So the disconnection means requirements in part three starts at 690.13. Makes it very clear. It says means shall be provided to disconnect, to disconnect the PV system from all wiring systems, including power systems, energy storage systems, and utilization equipment, and its associated premise wiring, okay? And it tells you the location. The PV systems disconnected means shall be installed in a readily accessible location, okay? So it really goes through. We're not going to get into it today uh, because it's it could be a topic on its own. We're just kind of doing an overview today. Uh, but there's a lot of information. I encourage you to take the time and really look at part three uh, when it comes to disconnect. It's not long. It's not a long part. The next one will be part four was wiring methods. But it really kind of defines down the importance of the disconnection means requirements. Uh, and uh, you really get into some of the, the types of disconnects. Um, you know, 690.15 disconnection of photovoltaic equipment. Uh, all of those talking about the AC modules, the isolated PV modules, DC-DC converter, uh, converter inverters. Wow, that's a mouthful. Uh, all of that information, it's very, all you have to do is stop and read it. It's not overly complicated. Uh, the next thing is safety is backfeeding the system. Okay, so you have a grid-tied PV system must automatically, now this is part of the listing for the inverter, but it must automatically disconnect from the grid during grid outages. So once that grid is detected and it goes out, part of its listing uh, for those inverters is it shuts down, okay? So otherwise, the PV system would generate dangerous electricity that could be pumped back to the grid if it didn't shut down because your cells are still generating this. Okay, and remember we're trying to we're sending it back to the uh, to the uh, we're selling it back, if you will, by either slowing or or, re, or changing the direction of our meter, which ultimately is what we pay. But if we don't do that and grid is shut down, it's connected in a way that if we don't shut it down on these grid tied systems, then we end up sending power back. It's kind of like doing an improperly done generator, whereas you don't have the interconnect and you're generally, once the power goes out, you turn that thing on. If you don't shut off the main, what are you doing? You're kicking power back out onto the to the grid and it becomes a dangerous because the workers that are working on it don't know this. Okay? So it's, you know, it's unsafe conditions. So... If you have the system that's going to be uh, a, a grid tied, then you have to use an inverter that's designed that way, part of its listing that's going to actually shut down if you lose the grid. Okay, And it senses all that. Okay, um, Sizing of systems. Talking about the what size system do we need uh, on our house uh, or our building? Well, hopefully the photovoltaic expert that's going to be doing this for you is I do not say this is a do-it-yourself project. Um, they need to know 
what the average PV module output is in wattage because they have to start calculating your, your, your demand or what you're trying to do. You have to have a healthy understanding of the basic rules uh, of law, like Ohm's law, uh, Watt's law, all that kind of stuff. All right. So even some systems that are small, like 5KW systems, can reduce your energy bills. It just takes a little bit of understanding on how you design these systems. Okay, uh, And once you do that, then you understand it. Now, when we look at the different modules, and that's what we look at, the panel, we look at their output wattage. Some of them will be 325, some will be 350, some are 360, some might be as low as, as 290. That's what the rated output of wattage is. Now, where do you get this? Well, you have to look at the PV module. And it has actually have a performance standard label that's on there. And it's going to tell you what that nominal power is. And it might say that power uh, measured accurately, this is what you're getting. So it says it might be 300 uh, out coming out of that. That's the standard uh, condition test conditions, okay, STC. So it might be 250, might be 325, whatever it is. Then that module produce whatever that is in wattage of power per hour. And that's what it can produce. Okay, so they are tested. So if I have a small system, and I'm still generating current, it depends on what you're pulling. That it could be effective, and it could cause you to reduce your energy bill. Uh, but again, should be designed uh, by somebody that knows what they're doing when it comes to that. <coughs> now, look, we know that some people are not going to install a system that can handle every bit of the load that's in their house. We get it. And, and that would be costly. Could it be done? Absolutely. Absolutely. But is it cost effective? The return on investment? Probably not. So most people are going to go with a grid tied system. They're going to try to offset what they pay. They maybe have a high energy bill and they want to offset a little bit. All I say is make sure that you look at the return on investment, look at your components, and kind of look at your bills because you know what? My bills, for example, Electric have been pretty consistent. I've been in Texas now five years, and as a, as a geek I am, I save those bills, and I look at them, and I can see that my usage has been pretty average the same every month. I know it's going to be my lower production months uh, because it's kind of cooler and we don't have to run the AC. The windows open, Texas, you know, spring and fall uh, offset the cost of what my summer bill is, which can be three and four times what my spring or fall bill can be. Anyway, you come up with an average and you look at it and you say, you know what, over the long haul, will my PV system benefit me? And will I break even? Or what is my return on investment? Where will I break even before some of these components start to wear out in this Texas sun or whatever? You know what? Just do your due diligence. Maybe you don't want to. That's up to you. But I'm saying if I was doing it, I'm going to try to see whether or not I'm going to break even. But it is possible that even a smaller 5K system could benefit you. You have to do the way the the, the pluses and minuses for that. A couple of great examples is if I have a set of of panels and it's 900 watts of PV power, then I can actually supply, that's 900 watts, that I could supply seven watt LED lamps, 128 of those could be powered per hour if it's 900 watts per hour. All right, that might be awesome in an RV. That might be awesome to do something like that. Uh, in a house, might not be beneficial. But if you're trying to power some efficient 7-watt LED lamps with these CFLs or the LEDs that we have in, you might be able to at least make sure that in an outage that you can actually get some offset of power. Maybe you have a battery system and, and you can store this energy. I mean, it's all relevant to how you design it. Okay.
Again, one thing to remember, we're so efficient that typically a 7 to 10 to 12 watt LED produces the equivalent to a 60 watt incandescent lamp. So uh, again, many things have changed in, you know, there is a lot of benefits now to systems. And it don't have to be such a large system anymore. Um, 2017, uh, we have uh, quite a few changes that did take place. So we'll kind of look at a few of those and kind of make it clear what has changed in the 2017 NEC uh, that might be something that we all need to be aware of. Better yet, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to save the NEC summary stuff just kind of because we're only going to touch on them for another podcast. So this is kind of just an introductory into some of the PV stuff. You can, you might like it or not. I get thumbs down, whatever. I don't really care. Uh, but it might give you some introduction into it. But it's kind of an introduction as we start to dabble into the NEC and a little bit about PVs. So I just want to kind of give you some thoughts about it as we get started. Um, and co- so we've talked about charge controllers to keep you from overcharging your batteries, power optimizers to make sure you're getting the best out of each one of the modules. Um, you know, we've talked about microinverters versus a s- traditional string inverter. Um, we've talked about or, uh, or inverter system, if you will, where all of the strings come in. Uh, in parallel into a combiner. Combiner box brings all the strings together uh, and uh, typically changes over to a larger set of conductors that are going to go down to the DC disconnect uh, and then to the inverter itself. Um, this kind of an overview of the different types of panels, uh, monocrystalline, polycrystalline, uh, thin film, uh, again, some of their life expectancies. Again, the maximum I've seen is 25 years. So again, I'm going to calculate out my return on investment, what my costs, what can it benefit me? Don't be afraid to ask your installer those questions. Personally, I'm not the green game kind of guy that just does it because it's feel like I'm saving the world. Um, yeah, it just doesn't work for me, uh, but it might for you. That's fine. Uh, for me, I got to get something out of it. I don't do nothing unless I get something out of it. So at the end of the day, you know, I let others save the world. I'm trying to make sure that is it going to save me money? Because ultimately it saves me money. I'm on this earth such a short period of time. I'm going to save money. I'm going to help do things with my family, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, there you go. That's the podcast for today, a basic introduction into PV. And we're going to get a little in-depth in the next podcast when we talk about code rules and some of the changes in 2017 that deal with PV systems. We're not going to get too deep, but we're going to kind of scratch the surface to give you some more information. All right, folks, till next time, stay safe. Uh, visit our website, masterthenec.com. If you have questions, obviously, about PV systems, feel free to give me a, an email at info at masterthenec.com, or you can go to our website, and there's a Contact Us button there. You can do that as well if you want to stay anonymous for some reason. Um, until next time, folks, stay safe. God bless. Every day the future's getting closer. Every day the future's looking bright. Every day is another beginning.